to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Whether your company is working in the cloud, using on-prem systems, or managing many apps or hybrid systems, there is no doubt that there is a lot going on under the hood in your tech stack. Who you partner with to help you get a handle on all of that makes a huge difference. When you partner with Google Cloud, they make it easy for you to worry less about managing all those systems and focus more on the things that really matter to your business. On this episode of Future of Tech, Jennifer Lin, the VP of Product Management for Google Cloud, and Hen Goldberg, the Senior Director of Engineering for Google Cloud, joined us to discuss how they make that possible. Using technology like Kubernetes, Anthos, and leaning into working with open source, both women say that Google Cloud has made it easy for their partners to find agility, flexibility, security, and innovation without worrying about what's going on behind the scenes and how everything is connected. They also share their best advice for CEOs and CIOs who are looking to design the next generation of their cloud and why you need to have a mindset of continuous learning in order to be successful. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So again, welcome to a new episode of Future of Tech. Today we have uh, with us Jennifer Lin. She's a VP of Product Management at Google Cloud and Hen uh, Goldberg, which is a Senior Director of Engineering, also from Google Cloud. And welcome, ladies. Thank you, Avishai. Thank you very much. Jennifer, when, uh, when you're looking at your history and, and your background, how do you find yourself uh, dealing with technology? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, career. I, nothing that I would have necessarily predicted. Um, you know, I spent time uh, initially at Intel. So, uh, you know, down at the layer of understanding how uh, chipsets are actually designed and, and delivered. And then spent a lot of years uh, at Cisco in the networking space. And, you know, in sort of three different businesses, one in core enterprise networking and, and security, uh, and then mobility, a, a lot of uh, wireless and mobility and location services. And then we uh, started a new business around IoT and edge um, using essentially secure sensors and, and wireless networks. And then, uh, you know, co-founded an SDN company. Uh, so learned a lot about software defined delivery of services and then joined Google and uh, definitely, you know, enjoying sort of the future of cloud as sort of a way to deliver and experience services next. Great. And what about yourself? How did you find yourself uh, within technology? So it's also very interesting and diverse, uh, diverse background, I would say. I started as a working in, in central IT. And that was really interesting. I found that I'm very much uh, interested in solving big problems at scale uh, on the infrastructure level, but I was missing the customer throughout that uh, experience. Uh, I did a, 
when out of software business, actually, Avishai, we can share that we've been working together uh, back then as professional services uh, at Xor Technologies. Uh, and then went back to building enterprise software for managing infrastructure. And specifically with Google, the reason I joined Google four and a half years ago uh, is that I felt that the combination about building great technologies that really helps customers and building great products is something that I can achieve in Google, and it's been an amazing journey ever since. Yeah, this talk is between us, so you can also uh, say if things are not as great as, as, as they are, but, you know, uh, if everything is great, it's fine. Now, um, This is still my dream job. Perfect. Um, Jennifer, can you describe uh, your current role? How would you define it? Sure. Uh, so I lead a, a product management and UX team in Google Cloud Platform. Uh, we're really thinking about a lot of the um, services that we deliver both within GCP and now, you know, with Anthos outside of uh, GCP, stretching essentially our cloud services delivery to environments like on-prem and other cloud environments, as well as uh, edge. Uh, so, you know, product management and, and really thinking also about user experiences and how we hide a lot of the backend complexity uh, with the online services that we deliver. And how does your uh, previous background assist you with the, your current role? Well, I, I had a lot of background in networking and security and also uh, was with a startup that was doing e-commerce in you know, 2000. Um, my background, I think at, at Google, you know, we have really built a platform on a global distributed network. And a lot of the way that new services are delivered is essentially you know, hiding the fact that we have a very global platform. Developers can move very quickly but a lot of the concerns in the infrastructure are completely hidden uh, from those that are pushing out new experiences for customers. Um, so my background, I think, helps a lot just because I feel like I've moved up the stack uh, incrementally. When we were delivering SDN, a lot of our customers were gaming customers and SaaS providers, uh, you know, folks like Workday and, and uh, other very large gaming platforms. So the networking being sort of a core piece of that was uh, very important. But at the same time, you know, hiding the complexity of a globally distributed network, the security, how do we do, um, you know, identity, all of that. I think, uh, you know, hiding the complexity of that and really understanding what user experience we're driving. I think it's been a journey. We're learning a lot along the way. And, you know, nobody can ever predict sort of day to day what's happening. But building a platform for change uh, and agility, I think, is a lot of the Google culture and mindset. And I think, uh, you know, it's been a, an evolution. I, I think we're seeing a lot of change in how systems are built and how we can move a lot of that complexity into software from, from hardware. Great. Now let's go a bit deeper. And uh, I've heard that you're providing many, many lectures. So give me in like in an elevator pitch, what, do, what is Kubernetes? Excellent. So Kubernetes is an open source project that allows you to manage containerized applications at scale. And maybe to understand what Kubernetes is all about, it's also worth mentioning Docker, the technology that made Kubernetes, uh, containers more approachable to developers and speeding the development cycle. So containers allow you to package uh, your applications and move very fast from development to production. But once you deploy the application, the new challenges uh, that are created is how do you do monitoring and logging and how you integrate that application with the rest of the infrastructure. And that's the problem that Kubernetes uh, is solving. Uh, the other thing I would say, so that's not a new uh, problem to solve, right? We've been trying to solve the same problem for a very long time. And I think what Kubernetes is doing differently is three things. Uh, the first one, it's a very powerful automation machine, meaning 
the goal that you can automate everything, the way you respond, the way you are uh, walking towards a desired state and having a self-healing capability is something that allows us to manage things at scale. Uh, that's how Google has been operating for years. And we are bringing that uh, to everyone through uh, Kubernetes. On top of that, we are creating an open API, which is actually critical for two things. Uh, the first one, it was really also for us, for speed of innovation, when it's easy and when you have composable systems and you can extend the environment, then you can move faster, right? Not every change requires you to do a change at the core. And the last one is that Kubernetes is really delivering on the promise of portability of workloads, meaning you can run the workloads everywhere that Kubernetes runs. And throughout the years of the project, uh, we have made it available and working at scale in different environments. So with that, that's really creating and new opportunities for our customers and also for ourselves. And what we have seen in the last four or five years is that our customers are imagining the future differently and they are seeing new opportunities. And that's what really led to a product like Anthos. Well, which is a good, a good segue to my next question. So why, why uh, Jennifer, why do we need Anthos at all? Uh, Kubernetes is so great, is open, solve the beside world hunger almost all the rest so why Antus? yeah as, as Hannah said I, I think we were a little overwhelmed how, how quickly um, you know the momentum around kubernetes happened it became very quickly the compute orchestration layer of choice I, I think the other uh, reason why it caught on so quickly and in the last few years more change has happened in software than in the previous couple of decades is because it unlocked a lot of application layer uh, you know innovation. And new applications, which are increasingly mobile, web-driven, user-driven, that ability, as, as Hen mentioned, to define the end state, a declarative system, and then make sure that the system converges to that desired end state. So within Google, we're very focused on what is the user experience? How do we get as close to the user as possible and drive a personalized response for that user in an online way? And so this shift from classic IT monolithic systems where a lot of the logic is built into a monolithic application to highly distributed systems where you have to bring a number of different data sets um, to the user in real time because the context is constantly changing. Um, so building that is obviously a big distributed systems problem. Kubernetes obviously has excited the development community as well as the operational community because the automation also simplifies a lot of the you know, day two lifecycle management. Operators want to be able to just manage the exceptions, not be in the middle of ticket cases and operational workflows where they're not really adding a lot of value. Uh, so we, we automate a lot of those repeatable patterns, but also make sure that we have a control plane that can you know, programmatically control the infrastructure behavior based on the actual data and the user experience we're trying to drive, which is constantly evolving and changing. One other thing is security has become sort of a very much a core design principle of what we're doing. So those types of applications where security is built in from the beginning, but it's not per application. It's actually expected as a capability of the platform. So we're really thinking sort of, you know, new models of trust and application layer security, user level security, where once again, it's a data-driven service. Anthos is really a data-driven service for the developers and the operators. Uh, and we can separate those stakeholder concerns, but still deliver the user experience that we're trying to in an online way. Maybe I can add to that a little bit, just you know, from a technology perspective, uh, sharing the experience that we went from uh, building a product like Google Kubernetes Engine, which was just the container orchestration managed experience to something like Anthos, 
is what we have seen that just the portability of workload is not enough. And our customers actually want us to take control and give them a managed experience wherever they build that really gives them that velocity, engineering velocity, when they don't need to care about those kind of things. So that's one. As I said before, imagining innovation everywhere is really important. Jennifer, security is a big concern, managing at that scale. Also, cost management is a big problem. And the last thing is making all of that work uh, without having to teach your teams different set of skills, whether they are building something for the data center or at the edge, uh, is also very important. And those are the things that we seek our customers use Atlas for. Okay, so help me out here because I have two two questions to uh, to clarify some of my, uh, I mean, let's say, blurriness. Uh, on one end, when Google introduced Kubernetes, there were other solutions in the market, competing solutions. And uh, yet a few years down the road, it is now clear to everyone that there is one leading solution. Everybody is around it. But Kubernetes, even though was, you know, pushed a lot and you are a main contributor, is still open and everybody can use it. And this is the notion. While with Antos, this is not the case. Uh, you're not giving Antos to uh, everyone and it's not like uh, something that everyone can enjoy. So first of all, I'm asking why not take the same approach? And my second question at the same time is that also with Antos, you have other companies that are offering similar solutions or obviously you will be expecting to have the same result that everybody will be using eventually Antos, but you're not taking the same approach. So how? what was the logic behind those moves? And do you want to go first and then I'll, I'll chime in? Yeah, for sure. The first thing, as I said before, Anthos is a managed experience, meaning we are uh, taking responsible of managing the control plane and providing those kind of services. And that's something that we take a lot of pride in, our operational experience, uh, bringing it to our customers with you know, teams like our site reliability engineers, providing SLO, uh, service level objectives to our customers uh, and working with them uh, through that journey. In addition to that, Kubernetes is really responsible on the uh, compute layer and giving the portability, what kind of CLI, how do you integrate to different identities and security in other platforms. And we've been investing a lot in solving that problem. And that's actually very important because Google Cloud is actually leaning in towards Kubernetes and making things um, much more well integrated uh, for such a, an environment the kind of things that we really take pride in uh, in the context of Anthos. The last thing I would say is that when you talk about business transformation, it's really about partnering in the journey of how you can enhance your business and partnering with Google Cloud. And we are bringing, for example, with some of the uh, recent telco announcement that we've made, is bringing our AI and machine learning capabilities and working with our customers to build new experiences to their customers. Yeah, I would just add, uh, we do really see Anthos as extending what we've done with Kubernetes and other open source projects like Istio and Knative. Uh, what we found is that, uh, you know, other folks took the open source and packaged it and put a support model around it, but didn't have the operational domain experience to do it at global scale or with uh, security updates and best practices in terms of policy automation, um, as well as, you know, the leadership of growing an open ecosystem. The first people that got very excited about Anthos were the software producers, ISVs, SaaS providers who had to figure it out themselves, but were using the Kubernetes API surface uh, to build their systems. 
So we just took that the next step and said, great, if we can agree that we've abstracted the infrastructure, whether on-prem or in another cloud provider with the Kubernetes API server, uh, and we embrace an open ecosystem where if you're a storage provider, you have a CSI plugin, you can run that on-prem and it still works as a first-class citizen of the architecture. Or if you're an open source database provider, many of our Anthos customers have Kubernetes on-prem where they are, you know, running with a, um, you know, either an operator or a Kubernetes compliant implementation with CRD templates. So we took that the next step. And so it really has moved. And, you know, Google is a large company, but we're not going to do this ourselves. We're really focused on uh, strategic partnerships. And if everybody agrees that this is, you know, the next phase of cloud service delivery, uh, we want, you know, to work collaboratively across the ecosystem. So as I mentioned, the first people that embraced Anthos were those customers and partners that had already embraced this architectural model and asked, how come the other hyperscale cloud providers were forced to reverse engineer their APIs or were forced to take their data services or their proprietary services? Google is the first hyperscale cloud provider that embraces the notion of hybrid and multi-cloud with an open service platform. And we're pretty excited about that. It's very early days, uh, but it has moved very quickly since we GA'd uh, the, the announcement. Um, you know, the, the platform, uh, and mostly with the help of, of a lot of our partners like, like Amdocs. Good. So, uh, ladies, we will come back to it because there are some open questions that I still would like to dig in a bit more. And, and now I would like to understand uh, the Google approach into telcos. So, uh, Jennifer, maybe first of all, what's so important in Google's eyes uh, in this domain and, and why is Google interested in, in, uh, in the area of telcos? Yeah, I'm, I'm personally also excited about this. Similar to uh, enterprise, this move from IT monolithic systems uh, from, you know, single vendors is really moving to, let's say, 5G edge data driven services, where uh, a lot of it is about delivering a uh, customer experience, uh, you know, mobile web first, where, um, you know, customers expect that level of personalization. A lot of this is how do we make sure that, um, you know, we hide the complexity of all the various proprietary systems behind the scenes and make sure that we're using uh, a resilient global platform to deliver services with innovation. The pace at which we can move in cloud as the supply chain for new services is uh, phenomenal. And I think even, you know, with the recent sort of pandemic, what we're seeing is a huge acceleration of our customers moving online. And you know, trying to get out of uh, human middleware, where essentially we are bottlenecking service delivery on uh, manual processes or approvals or whatever. So as Hen said before, we want to be able to state the desired intent and the rules up front, whether it's a security policy or an audit compliance rule in a specific, uh, you know, location. Those are all things that we can define in the system up front and then just manage the exceptions. So I think that the telcos are very excited about evolving their traditional managed services to this you know, more cloud services model because their customers are demanding it. We've done a lot of things, for instance, in you know, mobile banking and, and retail e-commerce. Many of our retail customers, as an example, have accelerated their plans for online commerce from traditional you know, brick and mortar retail delivery because they're seeing in this age where the expectation is their workers are remote, they can, um, you know, do transactions from anywhere and, uh, you know, that they really do want to uh, move quickly with machine learning based systems that are not just served from the data center. These may be, you know, local compute at the edge with drones or, you know, cell site routers doing personalization for a specific uh, location in a certain zip code. A lot of that is personalizing the experience based on who the user is, what they need to uh, be delivered um, and who can help them uh, at that point in time. 
So the, the, the evolution of service activation and service delivery and service monetization, a lot of how we do the metering and monetization in cloud is very much based on a granular consumption model. We're simplifying a lot of that in Enthos with subscription models, but under the covers, all the telemetry, observability, all the diagnostics for a pure you know, online consumption model is there. And that's a huge advantage to us with Enthos as well. So if I'm a, if I'm a telco, and obviously I would love to have all those uh, goodies because you know, either I visited the Silicon Valley or, I, or at least I've heard about Google. So everything is, is something that I would like to, uh, to enjoy. And yet I have, you know, um, as you rightfully said, a lot of, and this is not just telcos, but uh, the entire industry, still a lot of legacy applications and a lot of, uh, uh, to an extent, monolith applications. And, and we are going into um, the next few years of uh, what we call a hybrid environment. Um, and rightfully so, you also mentioned, you know, all the, um, the edge parts and stuff like this. So we are on one hand extending the cloud or, or extending the IT. And on the other, we are trying to bridge the gap between the two uh, ecosystems. In what way you believe that your solution will address the hybrid ecosystem? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, when we moved into the enterprise space, uh, what we heard a lot of our customers saying was, come to where we are. Uh, and then help us accelerate our path to cloud. And for many of our customers, 90 plus percent of their data is still on-prem. Uh, there are specific environments like you know, financial risk data or fraud detection, that 95% of that is already in the cloud because it's very much based on machine learning algorithms that aren't available on-prem. But for many of our regulated customers, they have not yet moved the bulk of their proprietary data into the cloud. Yep. So what we wanted to do with Anthos was move the uh, operational model and the manageability model and the automation model to where that data sits. And that's why we moved um, you know, Anthos into customers' own data centers. Um, and in many cases, that has accelerated their path to cloud. But not, you know, for many of our customers, uh, they're never going to have 100% of their data in our data centers. We have uh, you know, an industrial manufacturing customer in Europe where you know, their factories essentially are their private cloud. Uh, they're in production with Anthos today. They're doing a lot of data analytics uh, with partners like SAP and their own proprietary uh, data models. But they really needed that cloud services model with their data that was sitting on-prem and with a security posture that essentially would allow them to uh, you know, meet their audit and compliance needs as well. But we see, you know, as uh, Hen mentioned, we want to deliver that consistent experience and abstract the deployment location of the, that cloud environment because no customer knows exactly what the mix will be between on-prem and GCP and other uh, public cloud providers. But essentially, they don't have to revisit how they define their policies, how they think about their SRE operational model, how they do CICD pipelines. It's all very consistent because it's based on an open model that is moving very quickly in the industry. So as we've mentioned it several times, let's, uh, for the sake of our audience, Hen, can you, can you uh, again give us like a, a short uh, definition of what is SRE? You also mentioned the SLO, so maybe uh, give us a few words about that as well before I'm asking you the next question. Excellent. So SRE is one of the, our practices which uh, stands for site reliability engineers. And those are uh, teams, uh, expert engineers, that their responsibility is making sure that the uh, services are up and running. And the way they do it is uh, by building a lot of automation and making the system and really investing in making the system self-heal itself and really uh, identify and reduce the noise and know really what 
matters. So that's one. The second thing that SREs are investing a lot of time in is really observability into the system, meaning understanding what's happening and having data from all the layers. What we are doing then is using it to uh, define the availability or the reliability expectations, what we expect every service to meet. And we are, of course, monitoring that 24-7. What's been interesting with GCP is that we took this site reliability engineering practice and we are also expanding that to our customers, meaning we have customer reliability engineers that are working uh, with our customers and our, our partners, making the right practice. Good. Now, you've also mentioned SLOs, and um, which is usually people are using the term or used to use the term um, SLA. So uh, can you give us in a, in a, the, the short explanation what's the difference between the two? and? Uh, so I'm going to even introduce maybe a third term, which is also related, which is SLI. The first thing is that we are deciding what are the integrate indicators for our services, which is service level indicators. Once we know what we're going to measure, we can set objectives to those indicators. And many times, you know, it's actually a very critical step is that there are many indicators. But how do you really choose, choose the ones that are matter the most to your customers? Uh, for example, uh, it can measure different things and it will be the objective. SLA is a service level agreement. This is usually when you have a provider and a customer where you agree. And of course, some of those SLAs are also financially set up. So uh, there is consequences of not meeting the SLO that was agreed upon. Good. And uh, for the sake of our audience, I will uh, recommend some additional readings that uh, we can find uh, in many of the Google, uh, you know, uh, libraries, uh, SRE is, I think, a concept that you more or less contributed to the world. Uh, and there are many, many uh, additional readings related to it. Obviously, we will not uh, dwell more into it, but maybe in a future episode. And uh, to an extent, it's also related to uh, other relevant uh, topics that we've mentioned so far. So I wanted to make sure that we are covering it. Jennifer, you've mentioned the fact that you came from a startup and, and probably working in a startup, it's a different mentality, you know, working around the clock, innovating, making sure the things are happening and stuff like this. How, how do you cultivate the same experience when working in a, in a big firm like Google? Well, Google is definitely not a classic big company, I will say. You know, Google has managed to retain that concept of small teams that move quickly against sort of a common you know, uh, architectural paradigm without being, you know, developers are actually quite, uh, you know, free to uh, operate, um, you know, within their teams. But once they check their code in, it goes into a common system. And, the, you know, a lot of the security and ongoing, uh, you know, diagnostics and troubleshooting are baked into the system. So we've emulated a similar thing with Anthos, where not just, you know, Kubernetes and, and how we manage the uh, container orchestration and compute layer uh, and abstract the infrastructure in any footprint, but also how we move from services to microservices. So for any API, let's say for a given application, it may over time be composed of you know, thousands of microservices. And to Hen's point earlier, we really need to understand, are those services behaving? Is the communication between those services you know, secure? And you know, we, we will assume that those services are being delivered by multiple teams working in parallel against a automated pipeline that then goes in front of a user as a unified experience. So Google has operated this way with thousands of engineers that are very empowered to innovate, and then a highly uh, you know uh, elite you know operational team 
that essentially can operate that and you know launch billions of containers a week without the end user realizing all of that complexity that's being managed. So I think the Google culture, as, as Hen men mentioned, a lot of how we work with our customers and partners is that ongoing engagement model where you know Hen's team from an engineering perspective is working very closely um, with our customers and partners to not just understand the technology, but also understand the, the, the culture behind it and, and the engagement and collaboration model. And Google, you know, even with uh, Meet and, and G Suite, um, you know, my kids are, are growing up with those collaboration tools. It's a very iterative model. It's not set and forget. It's not, you know, configure something and that's how it will be for the next few years. That was sort of classic systems, but that is very much not the way that software and services are, are being delivered now. So we're embracing change and the culture very much embraces change and agility, but also operates at scale with the governance around cost and security. Um, you know, and, and that's what's exciting. I think it's very unique. Han, when you're approached by customers, I believe that the, the issue is not with the uh, technology depth within Google and your, exp- your engineers, but it might come from a different angle, which I was wondering uh, if, if uh, you did encounter in your uh, meetings, which is why should we use open source? Isn't it uh, very risky to use open source? Did you see a shift in, in the last few years in the sense of customer are more willing to embrace open source solution? Um, is it something that comes up in, in your meetings or people are now um, sees open source as something that uh, they, they are okay with? So maybe I can start with a story a little bit how I got into open source. Uh, about eight years ago, uh, I was responsible for building uh, an orchestration system. When you were 12. When I was 12, yes. Uh, and my team, uh, we were doing, you know, responsible for uh, the developer experience. And I asked my team, hey, why aren't we using our product? And they said, well, it's not open source. And there were some things that it was clear that for developers, uh, they appreciated the uh, transparency and flexibility of open source technologies. So owning their own faith. And, and that made me think, and we took part of that product and made that open source. That was actually one of uh, the first uh, open source projects by uh, HP Software back then. And I think that's something that uh, many teams take pride in, actually controlling their faith and having flexibility. So when they need something, they can troubleshoot uh, the environment. So that's something that people really appreciate. In the last few years, what we also see many companies, and actually it's, it's coming from uh, executives uh, very strongly, is the concern of being locked in. Uh, so it's not just you know, for developer velocity and flexibility, but really the ability to have an exit strategy. Uh, and that's something that uh, we're definitely leaning into. And we're saying like, hey, we want you to use Anthos and GCP because it's the best but we are not locking you in and we are creating for you options to use other solutions from the ecosystem and really partnering with the ecosystem. Uh, so that would be uh, the second thing. The third thing that we, uh, again, is, is related is around the multi-cloud and hybrid strategy uh, and really using open source technology. And it's actually less the technology, but that APIs is what makes it possible to run the same technology stack and the same workloads everywhere. Uh, so definitely uh, this comes as an advantage and why people are interested uh, in partnering with GCP. Good. Now, I'm going to ask you, Jennifer, a tough question, and I hope uh, you'll, you'll be open with me. What can prevent or block uh, Antos from succeeding? Yeah, I think uh, we're still early days. Um, 
often what we find is our you know, barriers are not necessarily technical. We are moving uh, in many ways from a IT driven system to a cloud services model where you have, you know, a number of interdependent dynamic services that are more distributed and automated. So there are some human processes that are changing. Um, and, you know, thinking about how we balance agility and risk is often not a technical question. It's, it's often a business question. Um, you know, once we moved into, uh, you know, the uh, new verticals like, like enterprise and regulated industries with Anthos, uh, what we found is uh, we really had to, number one, capture the developer excitement. So Google traditionally does very well with software producers. Um, so in many enterprises, people were already using Kubernetes to build new mobile services. But also now we're engaging with a number of different teams in any enterprise, uh, you know, the IT teams, the security teams, the cluster administrators, um, you know, the, the, the mobile development teams, the CIO, the CXOs. Uh, and what we found is this is really a uh, collaborative platform where each stakeholder defines the metrics they're going to measure success, but it's a shared architecture. So everybody can, you know, embrace the user experience that they're looking for. If I'm a cluster administrator, I really do need to see a lot of the low level details of the infrastructure so I can understand and troubleshoot. But if I'm, you know, the uh, security person, um, I have, you know, I want to look at the threat model and I want to see where my links are not encrypted or where I'm not going to pass my security controls and audits or where the policies are being violated by a certain tenant group um, against the RBAC access controls that we've already defined. If I'm the end user, I don't want to see any of the um, underlying infrastructure. I just want fast, resilient services that are, you know, interesting. So I think that is what we've found as the biggest barrier uh, is often just working with people in an iterative way to embrace the change um, and uh, move quickly, but also address a lot of the uh, stakeholder concerns because there's no one team that's going to solve this by themselves. Very interdependent at the platform level. Good. So now I have something maybe to the, to the both of you. Um, well, first of all, I'd like you to, um, to define to the audience what Istio is all about. And then uh, once you will do it, uh, I will share with, the, with, um, with our listeners that um, you worked on it with IBM and Lyft. Um, and out suddenly, I was reading that uh, it was pulled out of uh, CNCF. And, and now the world, which is looking for, um, you know, uh, a good solution is is uh, wondering what will happen, and uh, and I, I'm wondering as well because the world needs again this uh, standardization of of solutions. So, first of all, help me out to explain what Istio is all about, and then help me out to understand your strategy of you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. What what? How are we going to uh, to solve it? At least the three of us, and then we'll pass it to the rest of the world. So I can take a step of that. Uh, so first of all, starting with the technology, what is Istio? Uh, Istio is a, a, an open source project. And I think that's you know the, the first thing I would highlight. It is an open source project and open source technology, uh, which everyone can use uh, and contribute to. By the way, the Istio uh, community is actually composed by many, many different companies and de uh, different developers. And what it does, it decouples the service-to-service uh, -service communication from the application itself. Uh, and it really empowers you to apply, uh, for example, uh, the same security posture to your services uh, or the same observability, right? So managing what we said before about SLIs and SLOs in a consistent way without doing any code changes. And specifically what I really like about Istio 
it can work uh, not only for containerized workloads, but also for any workload, right? The VM-based workload and so on. And that's something that we've been building on, especially with Antos, because we understand, you know, going back to what we said about the legacy environment and the importance of integrating everything. So that's one. Uh, about the open source uh, aspect of it, I think... Let's call them classic. Classic, for sure. Classic workloads. Uh, the, about the open source, I think there is... Uh, a little bit confusion about, so Istio was never part of the CNCF uh, to begin with, but it's been open source yep. uh, always, which means, again, uh, that uh, there is a community around it, there is a governance model, uh, and this is being managed that way ever since day one. Uh, and the community, by the way, has been investing a lot in building that ecosystem. So I completely agree with you, Avishai, it's very important to create those standard APIs. And we have seen that uh, Istio has been adopted by many of the hybrid platforms today, and they're offering that as the standard uh, interface. Uh, we are committed to Istio and continuing to invest in that and making that available uh, and making that the standard in, in the industry. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not over with it, but I will continue. Jennifer, anything to add in this? Uh... No, I mean, I would just add, like uh, Hen said, from the beginning, we put it under the most permissive open source license. It has really grown very rapidly as one of the you know fastest growing open source projects. So we had no concerns about, you know, lack of awareness or, um, you know, lack of uh, partnering in the ecosystem and evolution of the community. One of the key things that we did was define a lot of the models for the control plane, both from a traffic routing perspective and from a security perspective, um, you know, how we issue credentials against a vendor agnostic, uh, you know, data model. And that is something that many of our ecosystem partners have embraced. And I, I think, you know, it's still early days in this transition to microservices, but the reason that we uh, you know, open sourced it was because many of our customers and partners were realizing the complexity of managing microservices. There is no way we can do this with manual processes. And unlike other service meshes that were out there, uh, they didn't address the security upstream. So that is the reason why, you know, IBM, who's on the Istio steering committee um, and very active, uh, you know, initially, you know, uh, moved from the open source project they were doing around the mesh uh, to uh, join forces with Istio. Um, so that notion of using a you know sidecar proxy where nobody needs to write the application again, but you pick up the benefits uh, in any environment, increasingly you know not just containerized environment but also VM-based environments. That model works you know at various levels of the stack, so it doesn't have to be you know at layer seven. It can be um, you know at the network layer as well, and that's a huge bridging function. At the end of the day, we're really trying to build bridges across different environments, different technologies, but hide the complexity. Um, so that the whole industry can move faster. You know, Google open sources thousands of projects. Very few of them are actually in a foundation. Um, and often that is, you know, I, I think we have built a, you know, very robust, um, you know, community around it. Um, and CNCF is, you know, wildly successful in terms of building the Kubernetes community. But many of our customers, you know, saw sort of the service mesh as inclusive of Kubernetes, but, uh, you know, addressing many other things. Um, so we, we want to be very collaborative, but a lot of the things around, you know, governance and adoption we're doing, um, you know, independent of the donation to a foundation. I'm not going to let you go so easily because, you know, the, the world is looking for um, a standardized solution. And, and part of the SMI, um, I would say, API is that everybody is looking to standardize around the service mesh. And I, I was thinking that Istio would be that one. and you know. 
now that we've seen half of the industry around the SMI spec and, and, uh, and the API, and the only two uh, absence are yourself and Amazon. So eventually, I think that the industry needs something. Now, uh, and I was kind of hoping and stretching out for you to, uh, to pick it up. And, and uh, eventually, I believe the industry will, uh, will converge, but uh, instead of it like being in the let's call it the classic days or the legacy days, let's make it modernize and, and make it sooner than later. But this is my own opinion. I believe that eventually, you know, things will, will, uh, will converge, but uh, probably it, it takes time. And, and I understand it's a big fight around uh, uh, who is going to win the battle. And, and, and I can understand that, you know, sometimes technology is not the only thing that rules and, and business has also implications. So... Uh, Abishai, can I comment on that? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Uh, I think I... I can speak, you know, about the experience we also had with Kubernetes and what does it mean to evolve and standardize APIs. I think one of the things that I appreciated the most with Kubernetes is that we really partnered with customers and users. And through that experience, we have evolved APIs and we have evolved solutions. And it became the de facto standard through that experience and through managing at scale and through getting success. And that's exactly our focus with Istio. Uh, it is being, again, contributed by many companies, including Red Hat and others, using Istio today. And we are evolving the APIs through real customer experience and trying to create an uh, overlay on top of it uh, might be limiting because we don't know yet all the use cases for evolving such a technology. It's still a new technology. And I really believe that we need to continue and work with the community and our customers and finalize and standardize those APIs that will help us uh, move into the future. Yeah, I would just uh, echo that. You know, our largest customers that have worked with us, uh, you know, in the context of, you know, Istio, um, in many cases, they've asked us, uh, you know, to continue in this current model, be very customer driven. Uh, one of our customers that's in production now is very much, um, you know, doing a service mesh uh, across multiple clouds. And, you know, uh, we've been working with that customer, you know, from the very beginning. So we are very market driven. I, I think we generally never say never um, because things you know change and evolve, but we're very much interested in really staying focused on customer success and, and problem solving and doing that at scale. And so you know already I think this has moved very quickly, actually much faster than what we had expected. And with our initial customers, uh, you know, we, we've been very market driven. Yep. Um, Jennifer, maybe a follow-up question. Out of your many, many children in the Google Cloud, can you mention a few other other than, let's say, Antos and Kubernetes, which, which you would like to stress out as, as being uh, unique and, and you like them? I wouldn't say the most, but, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, from a platform perspective, uh, you know, uh, changing the game on computer orchestration with Kubernetes was, was super fun. Obviously, uh, service mesh and how we think about SLO management for microservices is another. Uh, we didn't talk too much about serverless. Uh, you know, our, our organization also invests very much in um, serverless technologies, which uh, our, our customers... This was my next topic. Yeah. Uh, developers love it because they just want to uh, be able to think about a service endpoint and light that up with uh, you know, a URL and not think about a lot of the uh, underlying infrastructure. So we have you know, Cloud Run as our managed product and Cloud Run on Anthos. Uh, for customers that essentially want to manage the infrastructure underneath. You know, I also manage sort of our, our commerce capabilities. So how we think about, uh, you know, billing and our marketplace uh, third-party ecosystem providers. A lot of that is about, as I mentioned, how do we think about 
you know, metering and, and monetization and cost management? Um, and how do we extend that to, um, you know, our ecosystem? Uh, and that is, once again, we do our native services, but many of our partners uh, want to be uh, embraced into the platform itself. Uh, so the pluggability of the system, whether we're talking about infrastructure layer or, um, you know, data classification service, data governance services, machine learning, a lot of the things that are on the marketplace increasingly are things like the COVID-19 data sets and machine learning models that have come from outside of Google, but essentially want that consistent go-to-market and distribution model uh, that is very much online, where customers can click to deploy into an operational environment that may be GCP, but maybe something else. Um, so that is all in the vein of how do we move quickly and, and do it with the industry um, in a very collaborative way. Great. So I have lots of favorite children, but I think that's why it's interesting to work in a platform that is also, um, you know, embracing a third party ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would like to echo Jennifer. I mean, we talk about Kubernetes and Anthos and GKE. There's so much more products and capabilities of GCP that are integrated. For example, just talking about Google Kubernetes engine, it would never be uh, capable of doing that kind of availability and, and uh, cost efficiency without relying on Google Compute Engine, for example. Our observability capabilities are backed up by our monitoring and logging uh, backends. So it's really a platform play. And yeah, we, I have, I love the experience overall. Great. Um, first of all, it's, I think it's a joy speaking to people that love their, uh, their work. And I think it's also, uh, as human beings, it's uh, it's good to uh, to be working in a place that you love to work in. So I think that uh, in that sense, you are both lucky, or the three of us are very lucky, because uh, I'm not working at Google, but I'm working at at Amdocs, and and I feel great, and and I think that uh, uh, we are in in indeed in such a a great time. Things are progressing so fast. The innovation pace is is amazing, and and every day you are touching new stuff, and every day is. Uh, is a new frontier and a new, uh, and you know, there is no stop to the imagination of people and the ISVs and the ecosystem. And it's just fun to uh, just sometimes, you know, you're to, to step aside and to watch and, and you see how, how great uh, the world is. Speaking about the world, how do you see the COVID-19, if at all, affecting um, your daily work or the way that you were used to? Or is it like we are cloud, we don't care? Yeah, that's a super interesting one. We uh, have a customer advisory board and many of our customers also said we have to embrace the fact that things are unpredictable. And, uh, you know, how do we run a business and grow a business, uh, you know, business continuity, resiliency at global scale when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? Um, and that is, I think, you know, thinking about a collaborative platform that is pluggable where you can manage your risk, but also innovate at scale. You know, COVID-19 just shows how unpredictable the world is. Um, Google was fortunate enough to be pretty much online already. And so we've managed to, you know, uh, sort of maintain and, and grow productivity and help our customers grow um, and pivot some of their strategies to accelerate online. But at the same time, I think it just shows how different, uh, you know, sort of needing to understand the data in a specific region and then optimize your strategy based on that and do that sort of think globally, but act locally is super important. And I think a lot of the things that we're really thinking about moving forward. I believe we are almost running out of time. So I would like to uh, maybe uh, have one more question to each one of you and um, with, a, with a bit of a tweak. So I'll start with Jochen. Let's, let's assume I'm a system architect, a CIO that needs to design my next generation uh, cloud, um, you know, 
next steps. Uh, what would be the three items I should look out for when, uh, when approaching this ecosystem? I think that uh, going on a, this kind of a, of a journey just for the sake of technology is not good. Like understanding how you're going to measure success and having clear milestones along the way will help you and your team to focus uh, and be successful. Um, the second thing I, I would say is definitely uh, be cautious about not just the technology, but as we said before, it's also about changing skills and adopting new processes. So finding uh, those change agents within your team uh, and seeing how you can help that happen successfully uh, is very important. And the last thing is I don't believe in uh, doing everything at once or rip and replace and, and so on. So thinking about what would be what would be the other systems that you will need to integrate and what are the set of constraints and really take that in consideration when moving to this new technology will make it more uh, successful. Good. And Jennifer, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll address, uh, I'm, I'm now a CEO of, of a big uh, telco and I've heard about uh, Google and I want to enjoy the, uh, the benefits. What are the areas that I should uh, strive to look at first when approaching uh, Google Cloud? I think, uh, you know, understanding and, you know, continuous learning, I, I think is, is super important. Nobody has all the answers. Um, you know, thinking about the end state and being willing to change if that's not the, the, the case. Um, you know, rapid prototyping and iterative development, I think is something that culturally Google does quite well. And also, you know, embracing uh, whether it's partner ecosystem or collaborators in a distributed team, you know, the transparency and building trust across it is, is an ongoing thing. I don't think anyone has all the answers to that. But culturally, that is quite different from some of the environments that we've seen traditionally where, you know, you rely on one vendor and you just assume that the integrator will pull it all together. That's actually not um, a, an environment that allows folks to, um, you know, revisit the problem statement and course correct and self-heal and optimize uh, every day. So we're very metrics driven, understanding what we're measuring ourselves against and what we're accountable to but also being willing to continuously improve is I think a, a huge cultural aspect. At Google, we measure everything, whether it's infrastructure telemetry or the health of the services or business logic performance and your top line growth. Uh, but I think understanding what to measure and, and how to share and communicate that is you know, an ongoing thing that we realize we don't do ourselves. So how do we build a platform for that, both from a you know, data and technology side and also from a you know, moving the industry forward with communication point of view? Culture is, uh, even within the organization that we are in, culture is number one. And we're lucky to have a leadership that believes that, you know, very humble, uh, but excited about moving forward and innovating. Great. Ladies, it was a pleasure uh, having you both. Uh, it was uh, really interesting. Um, I believe that uh, hopefully we'll meet soon face to face. I'm running out of pages in my uh, Google Cloud notebook, so I need to come again to visit you guys. Um, and see you soon, face to face, I hope. Thank you for having us. Excellent. Thanks for including us. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn.